Before we read the scripture, I want to say a few things. How many of you are happy today? You should be happy. Baylor won. TCU won. We're still praying for SMU. Uh, Texas won. That's why I'm wearing my orange tie today. Uh, I'm so thankful Mark isn't here. Um, we, we, we would really have to pray for him for his sermon to not be flat on a day like this. Um, but our Rangers are winning. Uh, how fantastic. We are happy. I want to talk to you today about what makes God happy, what He loves. And so, just a few thoughts before we read our Scripture. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The question is, is do we believe that? Do we really believe that? So often we believe the idea, the concept, but we don't participate in the action. We so often feel good about ourselves because we intend to do things, and yet life crowds in and we sometimes don't carry it out. Dan Ourley, who is a professor at Duke of Behavior Psychology, that over his years of studying people, he's discovered that most people live with two tensions in their lives. One is, is that we always, we all want to get ahead in life and profit in life, and that at times we'll even come to the place where we will deceive ourselves and maybe even others in order to keep that way. But he said, we also have another belief in our life, and that is we want to be able to look into the mirror and still think of ourselves as good people. And we have tensions in our life. How do we live with those? Arley says, as he studied, he says, people have an amazing capacity for cognitive flexibility, the way we can flex our thinking. He's written a book entitled The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, How We Deceive Ourselves and Others. When Mark finished his sermon last week, he ended on James 1.16, in which we are warned, do not be deceived, brothers. The world so easily deceives us. Arley says he's discovered from his students when observing after years of teaching that it seemed there was always a rash of deaths of relatives at the end of each semester. Most often, it was grandmother who died. Mike Adams, even at Connecticut State University, has done research on this, and he has shown that grandmothers are 10 times more likely to die before a midterm and 19 times more likely to die before a final exam. <laughs> and worse, grandmothers of students who are not doing very well in class are even at a higher risk. <laughs> students are, who are failing are 50 times more likely to lose grandmother than non-failing students. It turns out that the greatest predictor of mortality among senior citizens in our day ends up being their grandchildren's GPAs. <laughs> he said the moral of all this is if you're a grandparent, do not let your children go to college. It will kill you, <laughs> especially if they're intellectually challenged. <laughs> How we so easily deceive ourselves to think we're doing good when we might not be. This world puts pressure on us. This world forces us into its mold of 
So many things are uncertain, so many things are unsure that we find ourselves being crowded into a fortress mentality when it is exactly the opposite of what God wants us to have. He wants us to have a free, flowing, abundant mentality. And for this reason, God doesn't want us to be deceived by the world and by sin. Rather, he wants us to be free with his provisions and to release a flood of cheerful, joyful giving. There's always a hesitancy for pastors to preach about giving because we don't want to be accused of always preaching about giving. But Jesus never had that problem. As a matter of fact, he spoke about money more than he spoke about heaven and hell combined. As a matter of fact, the entire Bible, there were 500 verses in the Bible that speak about praying now, you would expect that, wouldn't you? But there are over 1,500 verses that talk about money and giving. Why is that so? I think for Jesus, there were at least two reasons. Number one, he wanted to warn us of how easy it is for money to create idols in our lives. But secondly, he wanted to tell us of the incredible blessings that come from those who have a heart of cheerful giving. And so today as we read the scriptures, I want you to see the emphasis that is given in, this pa in these passages. So if you'd stand with me as we read these two passages of scripture. Paul writes to the Philippian church, you yourselves also know Philippians that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Did you know that an account has already been opened for you in heaven? And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus through Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Did you know you're building a foundation in heaven for life that is coming to you? Now Paul writes to the Corinthians, now this I say, he who, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. 
you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the need of the saints, but it's also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, one of the things that you'll notice in these passages is the continual statement God who richly supplies, God who richly supplies, be generous, be generous. God supplies and will bless our efforts. I want to look more closely at the third passage because it's the most full on this topic. And I believe that this message repeated to us that God supplies our needs in order that we might bless others and, and delight his heart. This is why Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So there are at least seven things in this passage. You could probably divide them different ways, but at least seven things. And if you want to follow along with those seven things, they're on page eight in your bulletin. Uh, you can take some notes there. You know, one day you may have a test. Not by me. <clears throat> Giving generously is considered sowing. Giving to God is never something that is giving away or giving up. It is always seen as an investment. You see, giving generates life. Therefore, the world of the generous always gets larger and larger and more and when we sow bountifully, give generously, we will discover a bountiful result in our life. And if we give sparingly, we will have a, spare, a sparse result. It's simply that. Sowing is investing to God, and he promises a return. This delights his heart when we invest in his kingdom. Secondly, he says generous giving is, is to be purposeful or intentional. He says each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or because I have to, because God loves cheerful, eager, free giving. You see, we are to give wisely and thoughtfully. Um, we are not to give just as a whim hits us. Otherwise, you're always left just to the, the last marketing uh, evidence that was in, the, the thing you received in the mail and looked so good and was stated so well. You're just influenced by that rather than out of your heart. And I, all of those things are good, and I like them, and I receive them. And I, like, if you're anything like me, I get 15 to 20 different requests for money a month. Um, and it bothers me because I wish I could give to all of them. I tried for a long time just giving a few dollars to each, but it didn't seem like I was even covering the cost of their mailing. And then I decided I need to be much more thoughtful, much more purposeful 
much more giving that I really, really am excited about doing. And joyful giving that pleases God has a resolve. It has a commitment to it. It's not thinking one day when I finally get my life settled and my career settled and I get that job I really want and I'm making the money I want to make and I've, I've kind of gotten my house and my family settled, my kids in school, then I'm really going to give. If you do not give now, you will never give. You will never do it. It has to start now. True giving really starts when kids are in the third and fourth and fifth grade. That's when they learn the value of giving to God, and then they continue that as a habit for their entire lives. You see, God wants us to know that we need to have a plan. We need to be thoughtful about our giving, purposeful about our giving, because what purpose does is it gives you freedom. You see, when you make a decision, this year I would like to give X number of dollars, and you set that aside in your mind, then what happens is, is you don't become a reluctant giver. But instead, you have freedom. You have the same freedom that it says of God. It says, he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How then will he not also with him freely give us all things? You see, God purposed to give us Jesus Christ. He purposed to give us salvation. He planned before the, the foundation of the world for Jesus to die because he wanted that result for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You see, he purposed it. He planned it. He set it forth for us. And this is why Jesus says, when where your real treasure is, is where your heart will be. Because where your heart is, is, what you, is when you want to give to it. In order to do this, it must be purposeful, intentional in your thinking. And it must understand grace. Because grace is the power that changes us. Recently, I was listening to Tim Keller give a message uh, on this, and he, was, he said... He was giving a series on the seven deadly sins. And his wife asked him, he said, which one are you going to be giving this week? And he said, on greed. And she said, it'll be the least attended. And she said, he, she was right. He said, it's not because people don't want to hear they're greedy. He said, what really is, is people don't think they are greedy. Nobody thinks they're greedy. And Keller went on to say, why is it that I give? And he said, you know, I, I give excitedly and sometimes reluctantly, and, but I give. And he said, but why is it never a problem for me to buy a book? Because he said, you know, I, everybody says, oh, you're such a smart person. He said, I have to fight that. I have to fight that. Do I buy a book so easily because I'm greedy to be called a smart person? Wow, what a personal revelation that is. Thirdly, generous giving is a result of grace working on our hearts. You see, the source of giving is never the size of your purse. It's never the size of your bank account. It's never the size of what you've set aside. It, the source of giving is your heart, is your heart. 
when it's been changed by grace, when a heart is not excited and thrilled with the purpose and opportunity to participate, then God gains no pleasure in our giving. He wants us to be delightful, happy, fun givers. The word here, uh, he loves a cheerful giver, is actually the word hilarious. <laughs> it's fun. It's like, wow, can I give to that? Man, that would be fun to give to. I've never met a generous person who's sad. <laughs> you know, I've never met a person who's given well and said, oh, I'm so sorry I gave all that away. A man recently gave a huge amount of money to a seminary to build a new building. And three months later, his, his building, his, his business went south, and he had to file for bankruptcy. And friends came to him and said, oh, we're so sorry you gave all that money away. He said, oh, I'm not. He said, I'm so glad I had it and gave it when I did. You see, joy comes because you really want to give. That's the exciting thing. Thirdly, as grace continues to help us see that sufficient mentality, an abundant awareness of God's grace, that it not only overflows to us, but through us. So we have abundance for every good deed, believing that God will supply the seed for the sower and multiply the seed for the sower is why the generous person always knows there will be sufficiency for everything. You see, why did Jesus praise the widow who gave her last two pennies? He said she gave more than everybody else. Not because the gifts that other people gave weren't good or valid, or more money, but he, because she gave with the understanding of grace, because she knew the God who had given her two pennies when she went home to need bread, he knew, she knew he would supply that. She trusted him for that. This is the heart that understands the grace of giving, and it's what makes us want to scatter widely as opportunities come. Fourthly, generous giving creates a harvest of righteousness. Now, that's a very interesting thought. He says in verse 10, that God who gives will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, that's not righteousness for salvation. That is just the righteousness of the delight of living rightly with God and with your fellow man. It's the whole aspect of living a blessed life. When Jesus said it is more blessed to give, we had no idea everything that he meant when he said that. Just this last week in the Dallas Morning News was this article right here, Generosity Helps You Stay Healthier. Now, that's not the only reason we give, but listen to the results of it. He says this, there's a, if there's a magic pill for happiness and longevity, we might have found it. Countless studies have found that generosity, both volunteering and charitable donations, benefit young and old physically and psychologically. The benefits of giving are significant according to those studies. Lower blood pressure, lower risk of dementia, less anxiety and depression, reduced cardiovascular risk, and overall greater happiness. Studies show that when people think about helping others, they activate a part of the brain called the mesolimbic pathway, which is responsible for feelings of gratification. Helping others doles out happiness chemicals, including dopamine, endorphins, that block pain signals and oxytoxin, known as the tranquility hormone. 
Intuition tells us that giving more to ourselves is the best way to be happy, but that's not the case, according to Dan Irely, professor of behavioral economics at Duke, which is who I quoted earlier about dis being dishonest. He says people are happier when they give, even if they're just following instructions. Wow. When Jesus said is more blessed to give than to receive, do you think he knew all of that? Of course. He wants your life to be blessed in all kinds of ways. Fifthly, giving generously increases your capacity and your desire to do it again. Recently, a friend of mine told me that he had an opportunity to make a, a pledge amount to a missions program overseas, and it was called a faith promise pledge. Now, what is that? That means that I'm going to give this as an extra amount of money, and I'm going to, by faith, trust that God will provide that money for me to give. So he pledged a large amount of money. Three days before he was supposed to give it, a company came to him, an oil company. He had a little piece of property down south of here and said, we want to do some fracking down here and we need some water. Do you have any water on your property? And he said, all I've got is this old dirty tank water up here that my cows drink out of. And they said, well, it doesn't need to be clean for fracking. And so they bought 2,500 barrels of water from him and it turned out when they paid him the check, it was exactly what he'd pledged to the mission field. Now, does God supply the seed to the sower? Does he multiply what he wants to do? Do you think he was excited about giving that check? Do you think God was receiving thanksgiving? Yes. How wonderful. Sixthly, giving generously produces thanksgiving to God. Listen to what he says, you will be enriched in everything, and, and that is producing thanksgiving to God, verse 11. And verse 12, for this ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. God is never more pleased than when his people offer the sacrifice and praise of thanksgiving for what he's done for them. We're all moved for Thanksgiving when we see great uh, examples of it. Everyone is blessed, not only the giver, but the receiver, and even God himself is blessed by our giving. And finally, generous giving is a proof of our obedience to the gospel. Notice what he says, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. Wow. Our faith that we believe the gospel is really true, that grace really, that God really does supply, that God wants us to give. You see, we only truly believe that which activates us. If you say, oh, I believe in evangelism, but you never share your faith, you don't believe in it. I believe in the Great Commission, but you don't make disciples. You really don't believe in the Great Commission, you see? It's what activates you in how you live. When Sam Houston, who was the first president of Texas, the first governor of Texas, was converted to Christ, 
by listening to a man preach the gospel. He was baptized in a river, and as soon as he got out of the river, he walked over to his horse, opened up his saddlebags, and pulled out a purse with money and gave the pastor $100. That's 175 years ago. Think about how much $100 was 175 years ago. And when someone said, wow, that's a, a lot of money, Sam Houston simply said, oh, he said, he didn't just baptize me. He baptized my pocket also. You see, he understood everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to him. God, grace never looks for a reason to give. It only looks for opportunities. That's when we really understand grace. Now, how do you become a generous giver? I've not always considered myself a generous giver. I've tried to do what, what I was trained to do, what I was given, you know, what I was taught to do when I was little. I've always tithed. Um, but just think of myself as a generous person. And then I had to realize, you know, we tend to have this idea that you must have a whole lot of money to be generous. But that's, that isn't it. Paul is preaching this to everybody. As a matter of fact, in chapter 8, it says they gave out of their poverty. And they said, please let us give. See, it's never the amount of money. And so first of all, we must recognize that God wants us to have this kind of heart. He wants us to be excited about our giving and that he is able to make grace abound to us. And that word abound is used six times in this passage. Grace to abound to us so you will have what you need in order to do every good deed you want to pursue. Wow. If the question is, do you want to? You want to be a generous giver. That's the question to ask. And so I said, Lord, help me to be a generous giver. And you know, always be careful what you pray for. I'm driving up Stimmons Freeway. I get off on Empire Central, pull up to the light. I'm the only car there. And there's a man standing there bigger than any NFL lineman I've ever seen, dirty as he can possibly be, and he walks straight for my car. I'm the only car there. Okay, I know what he wants. And I've I've tried to have in my car a gospel message and then one of those free meal t tickets from the Union Gospel Mission that they can go and get free food and other things there. And then I always try to put a couple of dollars with it so that I give them this. I'm not going to just give them the gospel and not help them with some kind of need. I open up my billfold and all I have is a $20 bill. He's there. He's standing at the window. I roll the window down and Grudgingly, under compulsion, I hand him the $20 bill. And he takes that bill, and he looks at me, and he says, Praise Jesus, here is a man who knows how to be generous. I was never more rebuked in my whole life. You know, I almost wanted to take it back. I, but I, but it was, the, the issue is, is that, you know, God is the one who helps you be generous. I will never regret giving that man that money. Never, ever regret it. I did before I gave it. 
But now I realize God wants that. He wants that in our life. Secondly, if you want to experience the harvests of this life, the evidence that is connected to it, all that it will bring, and even add to the account that is building up for you in heaven, then we are called to sow the seed. It isn't an option. We're called to be sowers, and God wants us to sow. In other words, he wants us to let go of the seed and invest it so it can bring life. That's when we're activating the grace that flows in and through us in that fashion. So establish a plan. Establish an account that you intentionally plan to give. And one man said earlier for me, he said, I used to always give extra money at the end of every month. And he said, somehow or another, I never had what I wanted to give. And then I started planning at the first of the month how much I was going to give, and I was always able to pay every bill at the end of the month. Set forth a plan. Set forth a way, because life will push and crowd, and you will think you never really will have a chance to do it. But if you plan it, it'll free you up. And that's why Paul says, be intentional. And thirdly, and lastly, is, the, is vision. Seeing what your generosity actually generates and creates and maximizes and, and strengthens. You go see it. You look for it. Let me ask you this. Why do we save for our children's education or our grandchildren's gifts? Because we know the value. We've seen what education can do for them, how it can help them develop. Why do we set aside money for a good vacation, which we all need? God isn't opposed to that, but because we know the value of time apart with our family. We know that. We see it. You see, why do we give to breast cancer or leukemia? It's usually because we know somebody who's died of it or has been cured by it. Why do I tithe to PCPC? I tithe because I have seen the love and the support of this church that's carried me through the darkest days of my life. You, your prayers, your gifts, your visits, your cards, that's why I give here. This is a body of Christ, and one day each one of us needs it in something. I've seen the lives of children changed in West Dallas. Why do we give to West Dallas? Because we want to change and bring hope and encouragement. I hear the gospel preached here every Sunday. What a gift. God is pleased. His heart is delighted when his people give to his church, his bride. Why do we give to other things? I get excited when I hear about an organization called Satellite 7 that beams the gospel into Syrian refugee camps, and they're coming to Christ by the thousands because their own religion has not given them hope. I like organizations like the Jesus Film. I keep this little card on my desk, and here's a precious little girl who's just watched the Jesus film, and she's holding up her hand, can I receive Jesus? Can I know Jesus? Wow. That encourages me to give. When our seminaries, like Redeemer, 
BTS covenant reformed and others raise up men that we listen to like Chad and Paul and Mark and Bill and uh, you, you just we've, been, we've all been to different seminaries and seminaries enable us enable these men what's behind them you like what they preach but you know what somebody sacrificed some things to help them get the knowledge to do it they need our support and at the bottom of the sheet there how many of you know how to Google? Okay. How many of you know how to go YouTube? Okay. I want you to Google or YouTube handful of rice. It's a very short video. And it'll tell you about the poorest people in the poorest part of India who decided every day just to give a handful of rice at every meal and bring it to the church so the church could sell it. And over time, this church has given $13 million to the kingdom of God. You won't be the same when you watch it. Vision. That is seeing the world as God sees the world. Why he so loved the world that he gave his only son. Because we are desperate for that grace. Again, money is never the problem. It's the heart. And when you are excited about the grace of God and what it has done for you, it frees you up to be a generous giver. And God is delighted. He is delighted. Enter into the joy of your master. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Lord Christ for your indescribable gift, your grace that flows and flows and flows and flows because it comes from an ever flow of your throne and we are the recipients of every good and perfect gift. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you and we thank you that you want us to be joyful and happy and excited to be a part of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.